the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WTBN is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. How kind has God been? Chapter 5 says we are justified. That is, we are declared righteous. We have peace with God. There, We have the hope of glory. We've been given assurance of God's love. We've been given the Holy Spirit. We've been baptized into Christ, which means we're united with Him. We have been given freedom from sin's bondage. We have been given the gift of eternal life. We have freedom from the law. There is no condemnation. We have been called sons. We are adopted. We have the witness of the Spirit. We have the Spirit's intercession for us. We have the promises that all things are working together for good. And we have the future millennial blessings awaiting us when Christ comes and sets up his kingdom. And Paul says, based on this, I want you to do something. These are the mercies of God, the mercies of God. To Jew, to Gentile, to all who come to Christ, God has been so kind. Years ago in Christianity Today, Tim Stafford told about a pastor he knew who began each class he taught with a jar of beans. He would ask the students to guess how many beans were in the jar while he wrote down their guesses. Then he would tell them how many beans were actually in the jar and see who came the closest. Then he would make a list of their favorite songs and ask which song was closest to being the right one. The students would protest that it was a matter of taste and there was no right song. Well, Next he would ask the students, when you decide what to believe in terms of your faith, is it more like guessing the number of beans in the jar or choosing a favorite song? The terrifying part of his story is that all of his students, young and old, replied that choosing one's faith is more like choosing a favorite song. Hello and welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Pastor Steve has been teaching from the 11th chapter of Romans, and today we will move on to the first two verses of chapter 12. The first 11 chapters of Romans are chock full of something that many, if not most Christians, don't seem to want to learn about. That is doctrine. But as we will see today, doctrine is the springboard of behavior. Only when we understand who God is and what He has done for us can we respond correctly. The very first phrase of this chapter, I urge you therefore, tells us that we are about to learn Paul's divinely inspired conclusion from what he told us in the previous chapters. Let's listen as Pastor Steve Kreloff ties it all together for us. We have finally reached Romans chapter 12. For years we have been looking to Romans chapter 12. We're only going to look at verses 1 and 2 this morning, but what verses they are. I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual or reasonable or logical service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what, is the, what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable 
and perfect. Recently, I heard a story from the world of fantasy about a hen and a pig who went out for a walk together. See, it has to be in the world of fantasy because hens and pigs don't go out for a walk together usually. And as they were passing a church, they noticed the Sunday sermon's topic on the church sign outside of the church. And it said, how can we help the poor? After a moment's reflection, the hen suggested, I know how we can help the poor. We could offer them a bacon and egg breakfast. Now the pig immediately protested and he said, such a breakfast would be for you only a contribution, but for me it would be a total commitment. (laughs) Total commitment is the topic of Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. That's what it deals with. Total commitment, dedication to the Lord Jesus Christ. It addresses the issue of what is the normal response of every believer to the doctrine of salvation. What is our response to be? And the answer is consecration, dedication, total commitment to the one who saved us. For 11 chapters, Paul has been hammering away a doctrine. It is doctrine, 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 teaching after teaching after teaching. But when he comes to chapter 12, basically, he stops doctrine. And he begins to exhort, and he stresses duty, and he stresses behavior and obedience and and the responsibilities that every believer has. Why? Because character is always determined by creed. Behavior is always determined by belief, always. Duty is always determined by doctrine. What you believe is how you behave. Your theological perspective determines your lifestyle. In fact, that is Paul's pattern. In, in Ephesians, there are six chapters. Half of, those, uh, half of that book, chapters 1 through 3, deals with who you are in Christ. When Paul comes to chapter 4, he says, Now, therefore, I beseech you as the prisoner of the Lord, I beseech you, I beg with you, I plead with you, walk worthy of your calling. So for three chapters, he tells us who we are. We are the called. He tells us what our calling is all about, and then he hammers home how we are to respond to that calling, our behavior. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul speaks about our freedom in Christ for the first four chapters, doctrine, theology, and then he comes to chapter 5 and he says, it was for freedom that Christ set us free, therefore keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. You see, that's Paul's pattern. Romans, Ephesians, you'll find it in Colossians, you'll find it in Galatians. And in Romans chapter 12, as he opens this chapter, he uses the word therefore, Therefore, what is the therefore, therefore? Well, therefore looks back at all that has gone before in the 11 chapters, and it demands a response. Based on what you have learned about God and salvation, Paul says, therefore, I plead with you to respond properly. I remind you that the theme of the book of Romans is the righteousness of God. There is no other theme in Romans that stands out as as tall as that theme. Everywhere you go in this book, The righteousness of God is prevalent. In chapters 1 through 8, Paul is presenting righteousness. It is righteousness presented. He takes man from the pit of his depravity and sinfulness. He puts the world on trial. He proves that both Jew and Gentile are sinners. And then he presents Christ and the righteousness that he offers as the solution to the sin problem. And so it is righteousness presented. 
He moves into chapters 9, 10, 11, and he has to defend that righteousness because someone says, but the Jew is ignored now. God has not kept his word to Israel. And Paul says, oh, don't you believe that for one minute? God has been righteous with Israel. And so chapters 9 through 11 is righteousness defended. So you have righteousness presented, then righteousness defended. But now in chapter 12, all the way to the end of this book, it is righteousness demonstrated. Demonstrated. In other words, now that you know how righteous you are in God's sight, live it out before people. Now that you understand who you are in Christ and your, your destiny, now live it out in such a way that reflects who you are. But you see, a righteous lifestyle with people, and that's primarily what these chapters are all about, our relationship with one another, a righteous lifestyle first calls for a total commitment to the Lord. I find that most of the problems that, that Christians have with people are related, directly related, to their lack of commitment to Christ. As I counsel people who have marital problems, it is almost always, without exception, a spiritual problem. If you are controlled by the Spirit of God and you have a commitment to Christ, you're not going to have some of these problems with, within your marriage. At work, the difficulties people have, their lack of forgiveness, their lack of humility, this one wants this and I can't handle it. It almost always goes back to a problem in your relationship with the Lord, lack of commitment, personality conflicts, school conflicts in terms of getting along with people. People have problems with people because of their lack of commitment to Christ. That is almost always the bottom line. And so before Paul can tell us what our Christian responsibilities are to our fellow man, he first tells us what our responsibility is to God and is summed up in two words, total commitment. Total commitment. Now this morning, I want to suggest that of Romans 12, 1 and 2, that there are three steps necessary for a total commitment. I think it is a vague thing to just speak about being committed to the Lord. I think it is confusing to people. I think that's why there's so many people walking aisles and rededicating their lives because they don't know what dedication is to begin with. And so many people struggling because they don't know what total commitment is all about. So we want to look at three steps. Each of these steps are vital. Three steps necessary for a total commitment to Christ. The first step is a response to God's mercies. That's the first step, a response to God's mercies. Paul says, the beginning of chapter 12, verse 1, he says, I urge you. I urge you. Now, Paul doesn't command. He urges. He pleads. You cannot force people to be committed to Christ. That's legalism. That's the law. The law commands. Grace urges. This is the language of grace. I urge you. I beseech you. I plead with you. I beg with you. I exhort you. Notice who Paul is speaking to. Who is he begging? He says, I urge you, therefore, brethren, brethren, brethren. You cannot force a commitment of this nature on an unsaved person. In fact, you can't force anything in Romans chapters 12 through 16 on an unsaved person. This is for the brethren. If you're without Christ, you don't know Christ, this is not directed at you, though certainly we, we want to deal with that need for Christ. But in its context, Romans 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 is dealing with the brethren. In fact, this may surprise you, but just about all of the New Testament letters are dealing with brethren. They are addressed to God's people. 
They are not evangelistic in, in nature as much as they are teaching in nature to the believers. I find there's a lot of people who want to force righteous standards, godly standards upon the unsaved. God doesn't do this. This is for the brethren. You cannot force upon an unsaved person righteous behavior. It's a spiritual impossibility. Those who are hostile towards Christ will never love him apart from faith in Christ. Those who are rebellious towards him will never submit to him apart from salvation. In fact, if you look down in chapter 12, you'll see that there are spiritual impossibilities for an unsaved person to fulfill in this chapter. In in verses 4 through 6, he speaks about spiritual gifts. And in fact, it's even expanded in that chapter, uh, verse 3. And it goes on to verse 8. He speaks about spiritual gifts. An unsaved person can't do anything about a spiritual gift because he's not spiritual. He doesn't have a spiritual gift. Verse 9, he says, let love be without hypocrisy. An unsaved person has no concept of what true love is. In verse 10, he speaks about brotherly love. You can't have brotherly love unless you're part of the family. Only the brethren can live righteous lives. And so Paul appeals to them as brethren based upon something that only brethren could understand and respond to. And that is found in the next phrase. I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. By the mercies of God. Only the brethren can appreciate the mercies of God. What are the mercies of God? Everything that God has said related to salvation for 11 chapters. Paul has told us how kind and compassionate God has been to us who deserve judgment and hell and are depraved by nature and choice, and yet God has done so much. What has he done? Let me just read you the list as I went back over it this week. These are just some of the things in which God has has done for us in terms of salvation. How kind has God been? Chapter 5 says we are justified. That is, we are declared righteous. We have peace with God. There, We have the hope of glory. We've been given assurance of God's love. We've been given the Holy Spirit. We've been baptized into Christ, which means we're united with him. We have been given freedom from sin's bondage. We have been given the gift of eternal life. We have freedom from the law. There is no condemnation. We have been called sons. We are adopted. We have the witness of the Spirit. We have the Spirit's intercession for us. We have the promises that all things are working together for good. And we have the future millennial blessings awaiting us. When Christ comes and sets up his kingdom. And Paul says, based on this, I want you to do something. These are the mercies of God. The mercies of God. To Jew, to Gentile, to all who come to Christ, God has been so kind. We don't deserve mercy. If you deserved it, it wouldn't be mercy. It'd be a paycheck. We don't deserve this. We were enemies of God, hostile towards him, seekers after our own pleasures and condemned to hell. But he's been so kind to us. He's been so good to us. And he urges us to respond by presenting our bodies a living and a holy sacrifice acceptable to him. I'm reminded of the story about during the the, uh, slavery days in our country about a man who wanted to purchase a slave for only one intent, one reason. When he purchased a slave, he took this slave aside after he took him out of the slave market, and he said, I am giving you your freedom. You know what this slave did? Turned around and said, I'm presenting myself to you to serve you all the days of my life. You see, that's what God has has done with us. He has given us our freedom. He has been so kind to us. He has delivered us from the clutches of hell. And he's saying our response ought to be out of gratitude to turn around and say, I'm yours. 
In redemption, I turn around and say, you may have freed me, but by my own volition and gratitude, I want to serve you the rest of my days. We are urged, if you look at verse 1, let me read that again, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice which is acceptable to God. Now, what does that mean? I think this is vague terminology for a lot of us, but may I put it in its true historical context? In the Old Testament, a Jewish priest would bring an unblemished animal, unblemished in the sense that it could have no defects on it. He could not bring the worst animal that he could find. He would not bring an animal with a broken limb. He would bring an unspotted animal, an animal that was was good, an animal that was unblemished, and he would kill that animal, and he would present it to God as an expression of worship. It's the way to approach God in anticipation of that perfect sacrifice, which was Christ. But nowadays, God doesn't want us to bring animals to him. The Messiah has come. We don't need animals anymore. He doesn't want dead animals. Instead, he wants us to present ourselves as a living sacrifice. No longer are we to bring little lambs and slay them. We are to bring ourselves at the altar. You see, we are a kingdom of priests. There is no priest today. We are a kingdom of priests to offer up spiritual sacrifices to the Lord. And when we present ourselves, that's in contrast to the Old Testament priests presenting the animal. We are living sacrifices as opposed to dead ones. We are a holy sacrifice because we have been cleansed by Christ. When we come to him, we have been declared righteous. That's what justification is all about. We are those who come without spot and blemish in God's sight. And we are acceptable as a sacrifice, whether you like yourself or dislike yourself. God says it is acceptable because he delights in it when we present ourselves. And he says in verse 1, when you present yourself, it is a spiritual service of worship. This word is really reasonable. It is the Greek word from which we get our word logical. It is reasonable. That's why some of the versions translate it reasonable as opposed to spiritual. It is logical. The most logical thing for a believer to do is to present his body to Christ. And when Paul says present your body, he means all of you, your soul, your spirit, everything you've got. Your most prized possession yourself is put on the altar. See, God isn't urging us to do something that is unreasonable. He's not telling us to do something that doesn't make sense. He is pleading with us to show him gratitude for his kindness to us. You know, there are believers who who think, they think, well, look, I can't give myself totally to the Lord. If I do that, he'll mess up my life. He'll mess it up. There's still things I want to do. I have have plans. I want to do my thing. He'll make my life miserable. Would he ever make your life miserable when he's been so kind to you thus far? I mean, Paul says, based on his kindness, the most reasonable and logical thing to do is to present yourself to him. If he's been this kind to you in salvation, could you not trust your entire being to him? You think he's going to mess it up? You think he's going to say, this is what I've been waiting for. I have been plotting how to ruin your life. No, based on his kindness, give him what you are and who you are. It is totally illogical for a Christian to hold back anything. In fact, Carnality for a Christian is the most illogical thing in the universe. 
I mean, we tend to accept it as the norm because Paul mentioned it to this horrible church called the Corinthians, and everybody thinks, well, then I'll just be backslidden. I can't tell you how many people have, have tried to justify where they are by saying, I'm backslidden. I've been carnal. Well, how long? Oh, years. You have to wonder if that person knows Christ. Even when Paul dealt with the Corinthian church, they weren't in a position of carnality for years. Carnality is illogical. And the only logical thing for a Christian to do is to give himself to the Lord. Every part of me. And Paul says this is true worship. Some versions translated service, some translated worship, because it is the word that was used for the priests in the temple serving the Lord as they worshiped him. So both thoughts are there. It's worship, it's service as it is worship. Serving the Lord and worshiping him as you're doing it. True worship is not giving God a 10% tip. Can I tell you that? True worship is not giving God a 10% tip and say, I know you're satisfied now. I mean, that's how a lot of people think. It's not giving God one day a week. It's not giving him Sunday. I mean, this is where we're different than the Old Testament Israelite who said, I'll give God Saturday. The New Testament regenerated believer says, every day I worship you. You say, why do we get together on Sunday? Because on Sunday we worship together, that's all. Every day is to be worshipped with a Christian. That's why it troubles me. This isn't even in my notes, but this is why it troubles me when David has to tell us to sing out. You know what that says? You're not worshipping him during the week. If you're worshipping him and giving him praise during the week, you come here with a heart that is prepared to worship. And singing his praises is worship. We don't just go through formality. We don't just go through the motions. It is worship. He is here. He is in our midst. We are to worship him. True worship is not giving God one day a week and saying, I know you're satisfied. I did my thing. That is unacceptable to God. True worship is not serving him once in a while when it is convenient for you. Oh, I've got a free night. Sure, I can serve the Lord. True worship is offering your bodies to be used at his disposal when he chooses to use it, not when you choose to use it, not when I choose to use it. Worship is to take place all the time. At work, you allow God to use you. At home, you allow God to use you. At school, you allow God to use you. You see, God wants to use your bodies to serve Him, to honor Him, to bring Him glory. And you see, what happens is when we don't use, give Him our bodies to, to fulfill His desires, then we always use our bodies to fulfill our own desires. Always. William Temple, the Archbishop of Canterbury back in the 1940s, described worship this way. He said that it stirs our conscience by God's holiness. It nourishes our mind with His truth. It purifies our imagination with His beauty. It opens our heart to His love, and it surrenders our will to His purpose. He went on to say that worship moves us away from the self-centeredness that is at the very heart of our sinfulness. What a great definition. Clearly, worship is not just for Sundays. We're glad that you could join us today for Verse by Verse. Our teacher is Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Pastor Steve has been the teaching pastor at Lakeside since 1981, and these daily radio Bible classes have grown out of that teaching ministry. If you are ever in Clearwater on a Sunday morning and not worshiping with anyone else, I know that Pastor Steve would love to meet you. Lakeside is located at 1893 Sunset Point Road. That is midway between U.S. Highway 19 and the beaches. 
If these classes have blessed you, prayerfully consider either a special gift or maybe even giving regularly to help keep these classes on the air. You can find out more about giving at our website, versebyverseradio.org. You can click the link that says Support Us. We also have today's class and hundreds of previous classes on the website if you would like to catch up on anything that you might have missed. That web address once more is versebyverseradio.org. Since these classes are adaptations of Pastor Steve's sermons, they need to be edited to fit within the time structure of a radio broadcast. As a result, most of Pastor Steve's messages are spread out over three programs, but it is still possible to listen to an entire message at one time. Just give us a call at 727-239-0306. You can order either an audio CD or a cassette. The number again is 727-239-0306. In many songs, both old and new, we sing lyrics that ask for more of God, more of Jesus, or more of His Spirit. Is that true worship? Or is real worship not asking for what He has already given to us, but instead offering to Him what we have not yet surrendered? We will consider that on the next Verse by Verse. I'm Peter Silsa. I hope to see you then. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's versebyverseradio.org. We are here to give you strength between... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.